Isaiah 54, verses 1, 2, and 3. I want to talk to you this morning. I believe, I really believe this is a word in season for the body of Christ. It's called Overcoming Barrenness Through the Power of Song. Sing, O barren, you who have not born. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not labored with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent and let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare, lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you shall expand to the right and to the left and your descendants will inherit the nations and make the desolate cities inhabited. At the end of each year, I generally try to spend time praying to seek direction for the coming year. And in a recent time of prayer and meditation, the Lord spoke to me about what we're going to experience, I believe, beginning in this year, but not just limited to this calendar year. I believe it will bleed into other years as well. And there are four things that the Lord spoke to me about in this coming new year. First of all, he said this will be a year of transition. Secondly, he said this will be a year of trouble. Thirdly, it would be a year of tremendous opportunity. And fourthly, he said this would be a time of transformation. I believe that we're going to be seeing a transition take place in this coming year. About six weeks ago, during a time of worship, Tim was leading us on a Wednesday night. I was sitting there on that front pew. I was listening to what the Lord would say, and the Lord spoke very simply to me the word transition. Now, I don't know how God deals with you, but he usually just speaks a word or phrase to me. I then seek him to try to gain greater understanding. What is transition? What does that mean in this season of God? Well, transition involves change. It's not change for the sake of change, but it's moving forward in the will of God. It's moving from one place to another place. Dr. Chuck Pierce says in his book, Possessing Your Inheritance, transition is crossing over to a new place or passing from one condition to another. I believe we're living in a new season. We're moving from one condition to another condition. What is God doing? Well, he's moving us into a place of tremendous opportunity. He's moving us into a place of fruitfulness. You see, God calls us out of one season or place to move us into another place or to bring us into a new season. And the question becomes, what is the strategy in this particular season? How do we navigate in this season? How do we move forward in this season? And what is God doing in our present day? I believe he transitions us to transform us. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. I believe the prophet Isaiah describes our present condition and prophetic destiny in the passage that we have chosen for our text. Isaiah is one of the most beautiful books in the Bible. The Spirit-Filled Life Study Bible Commentary, the notes of it reads, he says, no Old Testament book with the possible exception of the Psalms speaks more powerfully and appropriately to the modern day church than the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is filled with messianic prophecies. When you read the book of Isaiah, you see Jesus throughout that book. He's revealed as the Lord, the branch of the Lord, Emmanuel, 
wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, the prince of peace, the rod of Jesse, the anointed one, the lamb of God, our redeemer, and many other names. In Isaiah 53, we're presented with a prophetic picture of the atoning work of Christ. This scripture found in Isaiah 53 verse 5 is one of my personal favorites. Let me quote it to you. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. In the 53rd chapter of Isaiah, we have a beautiful promise of redemption and a promise of salvation. And we learn in the New Testament that when Jesus came and we accept him, As our Lord and our Savior, we become a new creation in Christ Jesus. We're born again by His Spirit. We are saved to serve the Lord and to fulfill our prophetic destiny. The first three verses that I read to you, our text out of Isaiah 54, I believe speak to where we are today. I believe this passage describes our condition. We're in a time of transition where God wants to bring us into a place of fruitfulness and increase. And there are three things in this passage of Scripture that speak to where we are as the people of God today. First of all, I want you to note there's a promise. We are a people of promise. We have powerful promises from God. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, But I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a future and a hope. 2 Peter 1, 4 says, By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. In this passage of Scripture, there's a promise of blessing and breakthrough. Isaiah 43, 1, More are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman. For you shall expand to the right and to the left, and your descendants will inherit the nations and make the desolate cities inhabited. When you read this passage, there is a prophetic promise of breakthrough, fruitfulness, and increase. And the Israelites had an inheritance in the Old Testament, and it was tied to the land of Canaan. It was the promised land. It was a land that was promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But we have an inheritance in the New Testament. And our inheritance is more of a spiritual inheritance than it is a physical inheritance. You see, first of all, our inheritance is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Their inheritance promised to give them a land, to give them the land of Canaan. But our inheritance is found in the promises of the new covenant. My Bible said that we have a better covenant built on better promises. Come on, somebody, say amen. John 10.10, it says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I am come that you might have life. The Greek word there is zoe. It means the God kind of life. It means life to the fullest measure, life abundant. I'm come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. That's a promise to us this morning, that we have abundant life promised to us through our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There's a promise of rest. In Philippians 4, 19, there's a promise of provision in these days of economic uncertainty. But my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. In Romans 8, 37 and 38, there's a promise of overwhelming victory to the child of God. We've been made more than conquerors through him that loved us. When the children of Israel transitioned out of the wilderness into the land that was promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they had to dispossess the enemy and overcome the giants that were in the land. 
I want to tell you, as we move into what God has for us, there are some enemies that we'll have to dispossess so that we can possess our promises. Why? Our promised land is the blessings and the benefits, I believe, that are available to us through the spirit-filled life. Now, we used to sing about Canaan land. And for years, we've, I've never preached it because it's not right, but we've preached that Canaan land is heaven, you know, that Canaan land is in the by and by. And we used to sing about that and talk about that. There is, Canaan land's not heaven. It's not a type of heaven. It has nothing to do with heaven in the Bible. There were giants in the land, walled cities. I'll tell you, when you get to heaven, there are no giants in the land. There are no walled cities. Canaan land is the blessings that God has for you through the spirit-filled life. And there are going to be some giants in your Canaan. There are going to be some walled cities in your Canaan. But we have a better covenant. Come on, somebody. And the name of Jesus that we can use against them. I believe God's transitioning us out of a wilderness season and into a season where the promises of God will become a reality. You're a people of promise. But then there's a problem. Isaiah writes about the nation of Israel, but in this passage, he uses an individual problem to describe what's happening in the nation as a whole. He's writing about a corporate problem, but he's using an individual illustration to demonstrate the problem that's going on corporately. And this morning, I want to speak both to a corporate problem as well as an individual problem. And in the opening verses of this chapter, we learn that there's a problem. Let me say this, that people of promise always encounter problems. Many of you have encountered giants of opposition, difficulties, and problems because you're a people of destiny. But I want to encourage you this morning. If you're encountering opposition, persecution, or problems, that's a good thing. This simply means that God is setting you up to receive the fulfillment of the promises that are over your life. If you're encountering giants, that's a good thing. If there are giants on your property, that's a good thing. That means that God trusts you to slay those giants. Isaiah writes about a twofold problem in verse 1. Listen to what he says. Sing, O barren, you who have not born. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not labored with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. The first problem that's identified by the prophet is a problem of barrenness. The second problem is a problem of desolation. Desolation is the end result of barrenness. It means empty, void, void of people. It's desolate. If we're barren long enough, we will become desolate, become empty. We're not reproducing. We're not producing seed. And it leads to desolation. As a matter of fact, this woman is described and identified by her condition. Listen to what it says. It is, she's described as the desolate woman. Sounds like our society today. We want to lump everybody under some kind of label. You're this, you're that. We want to have a label. This woman's identified by her condition. She's carried this condition so long that it's become a part of her identity. She's called the desolate woman. Now, what does it mean to be barren? That's where I want to focus. To be barren means it's you're incapable of bearing offspring, to be infertile, sterile, or unfruitful. In ancient Israel, to be barren means to be disenfranchised, discredited, subject of spiritual unworthiness, and potentially subject to divorce. When you read through the scriptures, you'll find that they were people of promise who suffered from a barren condition. And this passage, I believe, could be a description of Sarah, the mother of Isaac, who was the promised son of Abraham. The nation of Israel 
was the seed of Isaac through Sarah by Abraham. We learn in the scriptures that God promised Abraham an heir. He promised him a son and even changed his name from Abram to Abraham, which meant the father of a multitude. And When you read the New Testament along with the Old Testament story of Abraham and Sarah, you learn that God visited them in their old age and gave them a son. Sarah's brokenness, her barrenness was broken through the power of faith, patience, and perseverance. How did they overcome barrenness? Now you remember, Abraham's 100 years old. The Bible said that his body was dead. That's what the Bible said. Sarah is 90 years old. Now I make a lot of hospital visits, more than I probably ever made in my whole ministry. But I have yet in 28 years of ministry to visit a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman in the maternity ward. Never happened to me. They had a visitation from God, and God said, you're going to have a baby. And Sarah laughed in her tent at Mamre. And by the way, they named Isaac Laughter. That's what his name means. You 100 years old and have a baby, you'd name your baby Laughter too. Come on, somebody. <laughs> How did they overcome the barren condition? See, only God comes and says, your name's Abram. You got no heirs. You got a wife at home that's barren. You can't produce an heir. Matter of fact, you've already decided that you're going to make Eliezer, who's your chief servant in your house, you're going to make him your heir. You're going to hand down that mantle to him, and he's going to take over the family business, so to speak, as a patriarch, and you're going to bless him. And God says, I'm going to change your name from Abraham to the father of a multitude. You think God has a sense of humor? What did Abraham do? The Bible said he called those things that be not as though they were. And in Romans chapter 4, verse 19 and 20, it talks about the faith that Abraham had, that he, he did not waver in unbelief, but he believed the promise until he saw the realization of it. And her barrenness was broken through faith. If you read in Genesis 25, you find out Rebecca was barren. This is Abraham's daughter-in-law. Matter of fact, when Eliezer was sent to get her, he found her giving water to the camels, he went and explained what he was doing. He said, I'm here to seek a bride for my master's son. She said, I'll go and be his bride. And here's what happened. When, when, when she got ready to depart, the Bible said they prophesied to her. He said, you'll be the daughter of thousands and of ten thousands. You'll be, the, I'm sorry, the mother of thousands and ten thousands. What's that mean? That means millions, basically. That, that's the way the translators translate it. But it, it just basically means you're going to have an innumerable amount of offspring. Your descendants are, are going to be like the sands on the seashore. They're going to be like the stars in the sky. They really won't be able to count them. And even today, all of the Arabic people, and they're all the seeds of Abraham. But, but even today, that, that has become true. And the Bible said she is barren, and she's barren for around 20 years. What happened? In Genesis 25, 20, the Bible said Isaac prayed. He interceded for his wife and barrenness was broken. I'm almost finished. Stay with me. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, there's a lady by the name of Hannah. She lived during the time of the judges. The judges was a time when Israel would serve the Lord when they had strong leadership and it was a time when they would depart from the Lord when they would have idolatrous leadership. She was married to a man named Elkanah. He had a second wife named Penina. Penina was able to bear children. Hannah was barren. And understand, in that time, when a woman is barren, she's defined by her condition. Every Jewish woman wanted to have a child, and especially a male child, because that male child could turn out to be the Messiah. To be barren was to be considered a curse. 
Now, that's not from the Lord as much as it was from culture, barren. The Bible said that Penina, who lived in the house with her, made fun of her barren condition. She was ostracized. She was persecuted. She was maligned and mistreated. She's barren. What did she do? Well, she went to the tabernacle of the Lord with her husband on one of the three journeys that they made per year on one of the feasts, Passover, Pentecost, or Tabernacles. And she got before God at that tabernacle door and she travailed in prayer. The Bible said that she prayed. She didn't say with words what she was saying in her heart, but her lips were moving. And I imagine that she was weeping. And here comes Eli, who's a backslid, carnal, indifferent, used to know God, has no clue who he is now, along, and he rebukes her for being drunk. That's the picture of a church that lives in yesterday's revival and in last year's move of God. Here he comes. She says, oh, no. She said, you're mistaken. I'm not drunk, but my heart, she's travailing. This is travail. Isaiah 66, 8 says, when Zion travails, that children are born, sons and daughters are born into the kingdom. There's a time for travail. And the Bible said that he pronounced a blessing on her and she got pregnant and she had a child. You see, she was travailing not just for herself and her own bearing condition, but she was carrying the destiny of a nation down on the inside of her. She was carrying a child that was going to change this nation. And about nine to ten months later, along came Samuel. The Bible said none of his words ever fell to the ground. Travail. Abraham by faith. Isaac through intercession and Rebecca through travail broke the power of barrenness in their life. But I want you to notice my third point, and I'm almost done. There's a strategy, a plan. There's a problem, but God has a plan. And the plan is the strategy of how to see the realization of the promise. See, what you did last year may not work in this season. You have to find God. You say, well, well Abraham believed. I believe. Isaac interceded. I'll intercede. Hannah travailed, I'll travail, but God didn't tell us to do that. He said, in this season, look at verse 1, sing, O barren. He says, in this season of time, the plan for you is to sing over those barren places and you're through the power of song to produce breakthrough. Listen to what it says. There are five imperatives in this verse, in these first three verses. Can I give them to you? What's God's plan? Let me read it to you. Sing, O barren. Verse 2, enlarge the place of your tent. Verse 2, stretch out your curtains. Verse 2, lengthen your cords. Verse 2, strengthen your stakes. Let me read it to you from the New Living Translation. Sing, O childless woman, you who have never given birth. Break into loud and joyful song, O Jerusalem, you who have never been in labor. For the desolate woman now has more children than the woman who lives with her husband, says the Lord. Enlarge your house, build an addition, spread out your home, spare no expense, for you will soon be bursting at the seams, and your descendants will occupy other nations and resettle the ruined cities. What does God say to her? Sing. Stop. Focusing on the problem and start working the plan that will bring the solution. Sing. Worship. The Hebrew word there means to cry with a loud voice. It's more than singing. It's exuberant worship. It is a cry that says, I just stand against the barren condition in my life. I sing over the barren place. 
And the power of song will overcome the barrenness that's been in our lives. In this season, God is saying, worship me. In this season, God's saying, cry out to me. In this season, God is saying, sing, O barren. You who hath not born, break forth into singing. Cry aloud. Some of you need to start singing in your house. You need to start singing in your house. Get worship in your house. Fill that atmosphere with worship. I'm ready to see the power of barrenness broken.